And we are in Colossians chapter 1, verse, verses 15 to 29. And we're going to be in Colossians for the next several weeks. And the purpose of that is to understand what Paul was concerned about. And, and Paul was concerned here, and this is somewhere uh, around 20 or 25, 30 years after Jesus uh, was crucified, Paul was concerned uh, that uh, the church had now encountered false theology. Uh, amazingly so in this short period of time that false theology had creeped in. There were people in the church that didn't believe Jesus was divine. There were, church, uh, there were people in the church that believed that angels were mediating on their behalf. Um, uh, and, and so many things. There were people in the church that believed that Jesus didn't have a real physical body when he was on the cross, so he didn't suffer any physical pain. I mean, it's, it was all this uh, bad theology that infected itself in the early church. And so here's Paul the Apostle. Uh, and the Apostle, the role of the Apostle is to bring, bring truth into the life of the church. That's the role of the Apostle. And that's what Paul's role was that God had given him, that he had a grand view of the theology of Jesus Christ. And you know, as we study this, we know that when he came to faith in Damascus, uh, on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded for three days, and finally he, his eyesight was returning, uh, and he was told by Christ that he would preach the gospel all over the world, and he would suffer a great many things. Well, shortly thereafter, we know that Paul basically went into the Saudi Arabian desert, and he was there for probably eight, 18 months. And in that desert, uh, Jesus Christ, ministered to Paul, and gave him, poured the gospel into him. That is why, if you wonder how this guy has the depth that he did, it's because he got it directly from Jesus. All right? Uh, and so here he is, goes into the desert. Uh, he's a pariah. He really can't come out to the church because he's been so involved in, involved in the murders uh, of, of church people uh, prior to becoming saved. And so here he is. He knows he's a pariah. He goes back to Jerusalem, and basically, what do they tell him? Get out. We don't want anything to do with you. You're too hot to handle. And so from that time, even after the coming to faith on the road to Damascus, he, they send him back to his hometown, Tarsus, in Turkey, for seven years. Seven years. I want you to think about this. That there's people here, and I know they've been praying that God will use them in ministry. Here is arguably the greatest apostle evangelist in the history of the world who will write two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's on a shelf back in Tarsus, not really doing anything that we know of to affect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then one day, and then one day, Barnabas needed somebody. Needed somebody to help him on his work out of the Antioch church. And he remembered. He remembered Paul. And he went and he got Paul, and the world would never be the same. Amen? Would never be the same. So that's an encouragement for you. If you find that things are going against you right now, things are not where you want, that you're disappointed in life, how do you think Paul was? How do you think he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? And he's told by Jesus, you're going to preach to the world. Then he goes back to the Jerusalem church, and what do they say to him? Mm, not so fast. 
Not so fast. All right? And that's how humanity is, unfortunately. That's how we are. Uh, and so they send him packing, but God saw him. God knew him, and he waited. And I believe that those seven years were, were a testing period for Paul, that God was drilling down on him. And all the theological points that he had studied were all coalescing. And at that point, the match was lit. Barnabas lit the match, and the world would never be the same. And so here he is. His heart is, is hurting, hurting for the Colossian church. He knows that he's, even though he has not visited the Colossian church, He's in prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome. And so here he is, uh, Ephraphus, uh, one of the guys who had heard the gospel from Paul himself in Ephesus years before, goes back and starts a church. All right? And that's how it is. That's how God uses these people. You know, you didn't go to seminary. You didn't get a theological degree. You didn't study Theology 101. You know, that, that wasn't around. You basically uh, listened to people who, who were Bible teachers, uh, and you became dedicated, and the Holy Spirit did the rest. That's what this is about. And so the Colossian church starts. Uh, but Ephraphus had come back and spoken to Paul, and obviously Ephraphus was concerned about the errors in the church. And who better, who better really to address theological flaws uh, than our brother Paul? So if you have your Bible, open it to Colossians chapter 1, and I want to welcome our internet audience as well. I'm so pleased that you're here with us this morning also. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and he's speaking about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is an important first statement, as he's saying. He is, when you see Jesus, he is God himself. God himself. And I was speaking to one of the, the, the brothers this morning, uh, saying that one of the most important verses uh, is in John 14, chapter, verse 6, where Jesus himself said that no man cometh to the Father except through me, period. Not plus something else or minus something else. No man comes to the Father except through me. And this is an important point to understand because I understand that we have people that we know and care about and love that are good people, moral people, nice people, all right, people from other faiths, all right, maybe they're Muslims, all right, or Hindus, uh, and they've, they've, they've led good lives. But I can't tell you, I didn't write the Bible. I didn't write John 14, 6. I'm not Jesus. And so when Jesus says, no man cometh to the Father except through me, folks, you better get that sentence down, Pat, and understand God is speaking to your heart, all right? Look, we would like to write this in such a way that, oh, yeah, you're good. There'll be a place for you. There'll be a place for you. Yeah, maybe in your heaven there would be, but it's not your heaven, all right? You weren't the son of God. You didn't die on the cross, and so that's why I've come to understand these verses over a lifetime and recognizing that only God in his sovereignty understands what he did for us, that we were lost in our sin, and the only way we would ever have communion with God himself was when he would put his son, God, also on the cross to die, period. And if you couldn't accept that free gift, you couldn't accept that free gift because your carnal mind, your puny mind was so confounded about your own philosophies and your own way that you couldn't accept what God did, that you'd be lost, all right? It's that simple, that you would be lost. And so here he writes in his first verse, he is. 
He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the personification of God himself. We would never really get to know God, but you can if you know Jesus, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he's settling that issue right there at the first verse there uh, with the Colossian church, those who believe that Jesus is a created being. No, he's not a created being. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Let's stop and just think about that verse. All things were created by him. What does that mean? It means that at the very beginning of the foundation of this world and of the universe, God the Father determined that Jesus, God also, would be the creative agent by which everything would be created. And so when you see Jesus walking in this world, that's what really amazes me why I can't wait to get to Israel. Because I will see Jesus walking in this world, on this land, in these mountains, recognizing that he created it. And even as he created it, he submitted himself to God, to the will of God, allowing a, a human race to persecute him and put him on a cross. And what an astounding statement that is when you really reflect on it. And so everything is created. And I heard somebody say this well, a theologian that said that we don't even realize that the very glue of the universe, the fact that every planet seems to be revolve in a precisely ordained uh, orbit, and that everything goes around the sun in a particular way, and the stars are set in a particular way. All of this, the very glue, the gravitational glue is Jesus. You realize that? The very gravitational glue is Jesus Christ. And you know, it's when I think about this, uh, and, and I am amazed that as Jesus is walking in this world with 11 guys that never get it, never get it, and think about the fact that Jesus understood the physical intricacies of the universe. Did you ever stop to think about that? You ever stop to think about it? That you never see him talking about it, but he understood it. He created it. Why wouldn't he understand it? The very incredible intricacies of the universe himself. He was responsible for it all. It's all through him, by him. And by the way, the verse says there, uh, all, all things... And what is the all things? Not only visible, but invisible, things that you can't see. You can't see angels, but they were created by him. All right? Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, that means that every authority in the world is allowed to exist because of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that they are serving, at, at serving the way God wants it, but he allows it to take place. We don't understand all this. We don't understand that kind of authority, all right? Uh, we don't understand that permissive authority by, by a sovereign God, but it does take place. And so let's continue on. This, is all, this letter is all about drilling down to this good church that has kind of lost its way. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him 
all things hold together. That's what I was saying before. It actually is, Jesus is the glue of the universe. The glue of the universe. Uh, and that is why, uh, at the end of time, when, when this world will be dissolved, it'll be dissolved very simply because the glue will give it up. All right? When the glue gives it up, it's up. All right? I want you to understand that. The glue gives it up, it's up. Uh, and verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He is the head of the church. No man is the head of the church. I want you to understand this. No person, no human being is heading the church. The church of God Universal, I'm not talking about denominationalism now. I'm talking about the universal church of God in the entire world that comprises all denominations. That church is headed by Jesus Christ. And I would say this to those of you who are involved in churches that may have issues and may have problems. I want to tell you something. Learn this and learn it well. No church is headed by a person. No church is owned by a person. No church is owned by a pastor. No church is headed by a pastor. The church is headed by Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? And I'm going to say this to you so you get it really clear. And if you're going to a place in which a person raises himself up and gives out that impression that that's what's taking place, then guess what? Find another church. Find another church, all right? Because you need to do that. That's a church that's outside the will of God. Uh, and so you need to understand this. And so he's, this is you seeing here, uh, our, our brother Paul, uh, making certain that they understand the theology of Jesus Christ. Uh, and continuing on, uh, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Understand that well. God was reconciling himself to humanity, and it could only be reconciled to humanity by, through the perfect sacrifice once and for all on the cross. All right? And so what does that mean? And this, this tells you about the greatness of God. And those people that say, oh, God's hard. Really, he's hard? He took God himself, he took his only son, and put him in this world so that he could die on a cross. That's the God that you think is hard? This God that created you and allowed you to be with him in paradise for eternity? That's a hard God? This God who allows you to have a family who has come together with Christ uh, and, allow, and, and will be in heaven together with you forever? That's hard. That's hard. That's your God. Then you don't know God. And the only way you know God is by studying Jesus and understand precisely what Jesus did on the cross as he became our substitute once and for all. Look, let's understand something. That in, if you go back to the Old Testament days, you go back to Leviticus 16 and you see what was necessary on the Day of Atonement in order to be forgiven sin. If you were an, uh, an Old Testament Jew and it went on and on and on, and it would be a whole day of ritual washing and cleansing and burning and, and sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. 
and blood probably ankle deep, all right? Only to be forgiven for that period of time, and then next year it had to be repeated again and again and again. And God did this so that his chosen people could come to righteousness. And yet he recognized and wanted the world to recognize that no amount of animal sacrifice would ever deliver us from sin. Only once and for all, the perfect sacrifice on the cross, God himself, fully human, fully divine, dying there, uh, that blood would wash us forever. That would wash us forever. And understanding what was taking place at the cross. And he's reiterating this again to these people so that they understand it exactly what was done so that God would be reconciling himself, making peace, making peace uh, through his blood shed on the cross. Look, let's understand what that means. It means that until you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in open and notorious revolt of God. Understand what I just said? That means that all these people that you think are good people who are walking around who have not accepted Jesus Christ, that as God views them, not as you view them, because you're, you're a very open-minded person. You're very open-minded. You know, you, can, you, you have a liberal view of, God, of the world, but you're not God. You don't know perfection. You don't know how God looks at sin. And, and the Bible says he looks at your acts of righteousness and to him, your acts of righteousness are like filthy rags. Oh, dear God, help me, Father, to understand this. That my acts of righteousness are viewed as filthy rags. Only when that changes is through the filtering lens of Christ. That when you've accepted Jesus Christ, that that act of you've accepted him now puts a filter over you and God looks at you and sees you holy. You're not holy. Don't ever think you're holy. But through Christ, you're holy. Through the blood on the cross, you're holy. And so this becomes important for us to understand this, understand the mind of God. Uh, and it's taken me years, really, to understand God like this because I was like many of you and saying, oh, this seems so harsh. What about all these good people? They're good. They're out there. They're good. They are not Christians, but they're good. And yet we know that your acts of righteousness are seen like filthy rags. You can't even begin to have the mind of God. All right? You can't even begin to have the mind of God. So don't sit there and put yourself in God's place. Instead, bow in submission. Bow before the throne. And, 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 and say, thank you, Father, for what you've given me. Thank you for the light that you've given me and the continuing light that you've given me. Uh, as you draw me closer to the cross. That's why we pray for your children, all right? Because you're not going to make your children good or your grandchildren good. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will make them good, all right? And, and here's the thing, and I said it yesterday. It's the empty tomb. Don't ever forget it, all right? Because if the tomb wasn't empty after the crucifixion, you know what? Let's all go out and have pancakes. All right, it'd be a better use of time than me sitting here babbling words. But it's because the tomb was empty that God had defeated death once and for all, and he had defeated it for you. And your tomb will be empty, and the tomb of your children and your grandchildren will be empty. That's because of that Christ, because the bodies, our bodies will be brought up to heaven and will be in eternity with God himself. Understand that. That's what we study. That's why we look at this. That's what God is speaking to our hearts today. That's how mighty these words are. Oh, Lord, 
Give me the grace to articulate this the way you want it, Father. Give me the grace to articulate this the way you want it so that people can understand it. Do not misunderstand what God is saying to us today. You're saved, but you're saved by the blood of Jesus. You're saved because God put God on the cross that you would never be saved otherwise. And don't ever, ever try to have a philosophy of life that in some way deviates from that. Don't ever, because that's what was going on here with the Colossian church. And it, that is a very, very serious error. In verse 14, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. We were in open and notorious revolt to God. It would be, it's as if you're shaking your fist at God and you're saying, I don't care about your sacrifice. I don't care that you gave up your son. I believe that I myself in my mind and my philosophies, I will lead an exalted life and that life will someday be honored in heaven. Bzz. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. And I hope that in life, when you get to speak, speak to people like that, that I hope you'll say the same thing. Because you know what happens? That's why, that's why uh, the, the message of Jesus, the gospel, often falls on deaf ears as it relates to the intelligentsia. Often. Why? Because the more exalted a person is with their mind and their abilities, the more that they believe that they have insights. You know, they have philosophies. They have a way. They can see the truth. And they're above the fray of the rest of us. And you understand that's the devil's lie. That's exactly what Satan would want. You're smart. You're smart. Nobody should be telling you. Don't let anybody tell you this. You're a smart man. Look at the intellectual gifts that you have. You know this doesn't make sense to you. Don't fall for this. That's how Satan really begins to sow the lie. And that's why you really want to get to your children and your grandchildren and be able to demonstrate to them that this is the reality of God right here. That's why we study this. God is speaking to us today. And every time we open the Bible and we study it and speak to us, he speaks anew. That's what the Holy Spirit is. We're studying a passage that if we studied it again last, next week, God, through the Holy Spirit, would deliver a new truth to your life. Something new each week through the Holy Spirit. This is not a man concocting words. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And I hope right now that as you hear these words, here's what I'm hoping you're getting in your heart, because every one of you here is saved. You're all sealed with the Holy Spirit. And I, want, I hope this is what you're doing. Amen. He's right. Amen. He's right, because your spirit is quickening in your heart. And you know it. You know God is talking to you. You know he's speaking to you. And he's telling you this is a message for you. It's a message for your children and your grandchildren. And it's a message for your friends. And it's a message for the world. And you can't sit there and be silent. That you have to speak up. That you have to let others know about. And continuing on in verse 21. Once, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Understand this. Wait a minute. Oh, Paul, you don't know me. I was never an evil person. I was a good person. I was a volunteer. I would be at the hospitals. I'd be helping poor people. I was giving money away. Are you kidding? I would take people and, oh, I was a good person. 
And yet Paul says, before you knew God, you were evil. And why were you evil? Because you were related to Adam. And the very DNA, the very DNA of that fallen human race percolated through your bones and through your muscles and blood. And so you couldn't even possibly understand the evil that had come through you, all right, and as mankind had fallen. And so you were incapable even of having a vision of what was right until you recognized that you were evil. You see, that was how salvation works, that one day for all of us, we recognized we were lost, each and every one of us in our own way. Some of us not, maybe we weren't as uh, outside of God's will as others, but if you're outside an inch, you're outside a mile. All right? You're outside an inch, you're outside a mile. Oh, but my sins weren't that bad. Yeah, that's right. Right now I'm seeing the first sin, pride. Anybody that would make a statement like that, oh, my sins weren't that bad. Well, you're guilty of pride, and that's what sank Satan. So you and Satan are related. How's that sound? How's that sound? Oh, John, you're too harsh. I didn't come here on Monday mornings to hear this. I want you to lift me up. I want to be told I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, you're going to heaven, but you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven because you got the ticket, you see? And the ticket says, I believe in Jesus. That's the ticket. And that's why you're going to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you're good, you're winsome, you've given money away. That's all fantastic. But none of it counts for a wit as it stands before God. The question is, you believed in Jesus. And so understanding the fact that we all, at some point in time, came to understand we were evil. We were lost. We couldn't save ourselves. All right? And as we ultimately came to that, that understanding, and for some of us it came in an instant on the road to Damascus, and for some of us it came in church uh, when, when a uh, 16-year-old mentally challenged girl spoke something and spoke to my... Or none of us are in the same way. But each of us at some point in our lives came to understand we were lost outside the will of God and we reached our arm up and said to God, nothing more than, Father, save me. Help me. Help me, Jesus. And God pours his grace into your heart and allows you with that grace to understand what it means to be saved and to accept the free gift of salvation. You know, here's the thing. Uh, that, that, again, resonates in my heart about John 14, verse 6. It was free. It was free. But we are so deluded that we can't even accept a free gift from God. Can you imagine? We're so deluded we can't accept a free gift from God. And so here he is drilling this down to the Colossian church. Uh, and so it's so amazing. Yes, we were all alienated. We were all outside the will of God. And as a result of that, we were enemies of God. Uh, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That verse right there is so pregnant and so profound is that it requires us to drill down on it. Look at that, that verse. Uh, but now, in the present, he has reconciled you, meaning that he has made you uh, aligned with the will of God. He has taken you away from alienation, all right? 
He has taken you away from alienation, and he has reconciled you to be part of the kingdom of God uh, solely, solely by uh, Christ's physical body through death. Underline it. Hey, Colossian church, get it. Jesus had a physical body. He was fully human. Every nail through his wrists and through his feet, the pain resonated through his body. He felt it all as his body hung there, uh, dying on the cross. It was through his physical body, that death of physical body, that you were reconciled back to God by whom you had been enemies before. Understand the greatness of that phrase. Uh, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Here, you know, you can hear somebody like me explain it in modern day English. But the language that he speaks is so profound and resonates so deeply that you just go back and you read it and you say, Jesus, thank you, Father, thank you. You, you, you say here, uh, his physical body dying on the cross, just like those animals had died, but now it's God dying. Now it's God dying who was in, in a physical body. Uh, and through his death, now we are presented holy in his sight. Holy because of Jesus' death. Now through the filtering lens of that death on the cross, Jesus, God sees you as holy. You're not holy. You'll never be holy. The only day you'll be holy is the day we bury you and we put dirt on you. He's a holy man. He's a holy man because at that moment you've been glorified and you're now in heaven. And that, that sin machine called flesh has now been buried once and for all. But until that day takes place, you're not holy. But you are holy in the sight of God. All right? You are holy in the sight of God. And let me say something about this too because I think this needs to be said to a congregation of men because it had applied to me. You know, I didn't come to terms with the fact that God had called me to preach the gospel until I was 50 years old. 50 years old. I spent a lifetime in court. 50 years old. Suddenly, I had finally come to understand, as God gave me insight, that the rest of my life would be involved in preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus. Why? Part of the problem was that I never thought I was holy. I looked at people that were holy. I looked at my father. I looked at my grandfather. I could never be like them. I could never live that kind of life that they lived. They were almost ascetic in the way that they lived and set themselves off. I was not an ascetic. I was out in the world. Yes, I believed in Jesus, but I was never living that kind of holy life. Hey, man, you're a lawyer. You're in court. You're being paid to carve people up. All right? You understand? All right? That's the prototype. The more I carved, the more I got paid. And frankly, I would have done it for free. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Because I couldn't play professional football, but for me, the courtroom was professional football. You understand? And so there it was. I understood what I was. I understood the warts, the shortcomings. I can't preach. How can I preach? I'm going to get up and open a Bible and preach. And all those people are out there going, you? You? Oh, are you kidding me? You? You of all people. And that's all I could think of. And so you understand how Satan works? That's what he wants. You don't go out. Don't think you're holy. 
Don't think you can be used by Jesus. But here's the thing. Once you've accepted Christ, the filtering blood of Jesus Christ is surrounding you. You are holy in the sense of how God sees you. And so don't worry about what Joe down the block thinks. Joe's lost. You're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ or living the gospel of Jesus Christ for Joe. You're doing it for Christ, for God. And for those people in the kingdom of God, that's who God has called you. So don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in that kind of of, of satanic uh, delusion. You're not holy. You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? And it's finally when I understood this, that I saw that Jesus and God saw me as holy because I was a Christian, that I could step up and preach. Because before that, every time I'd say a word, I'd go, oh, you hypocrite. Oh, God. How can you say this? You know who you are. Because you know what? I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Let me put it out there right now. You got that? I don't want anybody to be deluded. I am not holy. I will never be holy. I am not righteous. All right? But through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has made me holy as he's made you holy. I don't want anybody here to leave today without understanding this. This is the message He's drilling to this first century church who has already lost it in some ways. And so I want you to go back and tell your churches this message. I want you to go back and tell your family and your children and your grandchildren this message. This is a message that resonates so powerfully. God's called you to the kingdom of God and he sees you as holy totally because of Jesus Christ. Totally. All right? So don't sit there and think I'm not good enough. A lady said to me in church a couple weeks ago when I preached that, I, that you had an obligation first to speak to your children. And let me make that clear to you. Your first obligation in this world is to speak to your children. All right? And after your children, to speak to your grandchildren. And I know she came up to me and she says, uh, John, I, I just, I can't, I can't speak to my children. I can't speak to my children because my life is not in accord with the will of God. Oh, my. I looked at her. I was just so sad to hear somebody say that. Nobody's life is in, the, in accord with the will of God. You think I live here and every moment and second of the day, my life is in accord with the will of God? I'm constantly asking God to forgive me because I understand that's the nature of who we are. But through the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the fact that Jesus died on the cross, you are holy. So now speak to your kids. And when you speak to your kids, God will anoint those words. And your kids will hear the message and will be drawn to the cross. And speak to your grandchildren. Don't stop. That's what God has told us. That's how he has, has, has told us this. And so verse 22 again. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love that last line. Free from accusation. Accusation from who? Satan, the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his titles. Did you know that? One of the titles of Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And how does he do this? Because he does it very subtly, you see? Oh, you, you, come on. You're getting up and you're speaking. Oh, are you kidding me? You know what they think about you. They think you're a hypocrite. You're making a fool out of yourself. Oh, you're going to go to the hospitals. Oh, you're going to the prisons. You should be in prison. 
And you're going to the prisons. Oh, you, you are holy, man. You understand? And the accuser of the brethren works that way. And then sometimes he even lets people articulate it. You understand? Even people. And sometimes the worst damage comes in church. The worst damage comes in church. Uh, and you know that, that, that great book, uh, The Screw Tape Letters which is one of my favorite books. I hope you all get a chance to read it. I love that book. And there, the, the chief de 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 uh, demon uh, and his nephew, Wormwood, is on earth. Uh, and Wormwood is a, trying to steer people to Satan, steer people to hell. And he has an ongoing series uh, of discussions with his uncle, the senior demon. Uh, and finally, one day, he writes to his uncle, goes, oh, uncle, I've failed miserably. My patient has joined church. All my work has been failed. And the senior demon writes back from hell, fear not, my dear nephew. We do our best works in church. <laughs> now I'm not, I am not castigating church. I'm not denying church. But what I'm saying is this, all right? That, that there can be an evil presence even in church. There can be evil even in church. Uh, and I want you to understand this, that even as you're trying to step out and do the work of God, uh, I want you to be prepared. Sometimes some of the most hurtful things will come in church. I can honestly say that in my own personal testimony, the worst pain that I've ever received in life came in church. It came in church. Uh, because there's nothing like being betrayed by what you believed were Christians. Uh, and that is a pain that I hope you don't ever feel. Uh, but I want you to understand it. God wipes the slate clean. He wipes the slate clean. Uh, and he makes it clear here as to how we've been reconciled to him. Uh, and so uh, it is so clear to me as we understand this. Free from accusation. Nobody can accuse you. And if anybody does, you just say, I'm a child bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan, get behind me, I rebuke you. That's what you say. That's what you say to people when they start to accuse you and denigrate you. You've been saved by Christ. God is dealing with you on a daily basis. You don't have to be dealt with by other human beings. God is dealing with you, all right? Understand that. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, all right? If you continue in your faith, and that's what this is all about. That's why you come here. That's why we study the Bible together. We want you to continue in your faith. Your faith is started. It's like a small little kindling fire. But as we, we teach and preach and the Holy Spirit touches your heart, the fire grows and it grows. I want it to turn into a bonfire. I want it to be in a bonfire that you can't wait to go out there and tell people about this. You know, I told you that for me personally, when I, when I really, in my early life, I never got up in church. I never spoke a word in church. I never taught a Bible study. I never said a testimony. I never did it. Why? Because I was shackled by the fact you're not holy, you're not righteous. Look at your father, look at your grandfather. And so I was mute. You understand? I was mute, not saying a word. That's what Satan wants. But finally, when, I, when the, the shackles were taken off me, when I understood I was saved by Christ, that Jesus and God saw me as holy, 
And suddenly the gifts that he had given me percolated up. And you know what? Now I can't be shut down. I can't shut up. <laughs> I can't shut up. All right? I can't shut up. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is coming out of me like a bonfire. And when I read these passages, when I see the power of the gospel of Christ preached like this, it just sizzles in my heart. And I hope you're feeling the same way. I want you to have that bonfire in your heart. I want you to say, oh God, use me. Oh God, show me where you want me to go. Oh God, help me to be my, your hands and feet. Help me to be your child. Let me put these accusers down. Don't let me be stuck with these doubters. Don't let me be, be, be slayed by the accuser or the brother. Nothing will stop me, Father. I want to serve you until the day the last breath comes out of my mouth. I want to be there with you every step of the way until finally you're done with my work and then call me home because I want to be with you on that day. That's what I want. That's the message of hope here that's being preached. Uh, and, and that's what Paul is telling them. Continue in this faith. Understand the nature of this faith. Be firm in this faith. Don't waver. Don't be moved from the hope that you had held in the gospel. You understood what Jesus gave you. You understood salvation. Don't be moved from that. Make that the centerpiece of your life in every possible way. And this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Oh my gosh. God. Every creature in the world has heard it preached. What does that mean? You understand what he's saying there? Some have heard the message preached in words, but some have heard it preached in nature. All right? The work, handiwork of God, making clear what it is. All right? And that's the nature of the gospel. But stand firm. Stand firm. Don't deviate. Understand exactly who the centerpiece of your faith is. The centerpiece of your faith is Jesus Christ, crucified, died on the cross, resurrected from this world. The tomb is empty, and he sits now at the right hand of God. Let's close. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his clarity of understanding of the gospel. I thank you that you loved us so much that you saved us, that you continue to let us look holy, Father, because of the blood of Christ on the cross. Lord, let us leave here today emboldened by this message. Let us leave here today knowing that our responsibility is to teach and to bring this truth to a world. Let it start in our home with our children and then with our grandchildren. Let it percolate out to a world. Let Naples be changed, Father, forever by this message. Let each and every man here go out ever more committed to you every day to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give the message of hope to a lost world. Be with our men. Protect them and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.